1972, uh, from the surface of the moon, astronaut Gene Cernan uh, said the last words that were ever uttered by a human from the surface of the moon. Uh, this is what he said. Uh, he said, we leave as we came, and God willing, as we shall return, with peace and hope for all mankind. And with that, the lunar shuttle blasted off and came back to Earth. And for almost 50 years, uh, no one really thought about going back to the moon. He said, you know, if we return, but uh, there was a lot of other things going on. Um, there was other missions, space exploration that people wanted to do. There was other places where they wanted to spend uh, the money. Why go back uh, to the moon? I mean, we've kind of been there, uh, done that in a way. Until a few years ago, uh, NASA announced uh, Project Artemis. Project Artemis is an attempt for NASA to go back to the moon, to return there, hopefully 2024. Uh, and when they announced this, there was a lot of excitement from some people, but there was also a lot of questions and a lot of pushback being like, really, we're going to spend $93 billion to go back to the moon? Why are we doing this? Isn't there other things we could be spending the money on? Isn't there better things we could be doing? A, a lot of people felt it unnecessary. And so NASA even, you know, they had to try and justify it. They had to come up with all these reasons. Okay, you know, this is why we're doing it. They had this video, why the moon, and try and say, these are all the reasons we're returning to the moon. These are all the reasons we're going back. I don't know whether you think going back to the moon is a good idea or not. It doesn't really matter. My point is that often uh, when we've left something, when we've left something behind that we know well and we've gone on to something else, it's often hard to convince us to go back to it. Uh, we, we, we've kind of been there, we've done that, and we've moved on with our life, and going back or returning to something where we've already been, we want to move forward, we want to progress, we want something different. And today in our text, God is going to tell his people uh, that they need to come back to him. They need to return to him. They had been with God, but had strayed and wandered, and he's calling them back. And the same thing is true, that they, they need reasons. Why should you come back to God? Why return? And that's really what God gives them in our text uh, today. He gives them five reasons that they should return to God. And so when we'll read the passage, and what we see basically is God outline the situation, outline the reasons, and then end with, so therefore return to me. And so we're going to see the five reasons uh, that God tells his people to return to him, and then we'll see how those apply uh, to us. So uh, like Matt said, Hosea chapter 11 uh, verse 12 is where we'll start, and we'll continue on to chapter 12, uh, verse 6. So I'll read it uh, for us. Hosea 11, verse uh, 12. Uh, Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind, pursues the east wind all day long, uh, they multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord has an indictment against Judah, and he will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. 
So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. So like I said, five reasons that we see in this text uh, that we should return uh, to God. Five reasons. The first reason that we should return to God is because, number one, our spiritual deception leaves us empty. Our spiritual deception leaves us empty. We see that uh, in verse 12. It begins, Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. And so it's this idea that God is surrounded by lies, by deception, spiritual deception. And what it means by that probably is that Israel at this point, they were saying, yes, we worship God, we worship Yahweh, but they would also worship other gods as well. They'd worship Baal, they would go and sacrifice to other gods. And so they would say with their mouth, yes, we worship God, but really their actions were showing something very different. It's as if they're saying, yes, we want God, we want Yahweh, but that's not really good enough for us. We need something else too. We need something else to kind of, some other gods to supplement on the side. It would be like a, a wife saying to her husband, you know what, I, I love you. I, I think we should stay married. I think it's great, but I'm just not quite satisfied with you. So there's some other guys that I'm seeing just on the side, you know, just to supplement our marriage. These people were paying lip service to the Almighty God, but on the side, they're running around with other gods. They're honoring God with their lips, but their heart is far from him. And so God has this great image to describe what the people are doing. It's in verse uh, 1 of chapter 12. Uh, He says this. He says, Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. And the idea that God is, is, is giving here is, hey, you're going to go after these other things to satisfy you, fulfill you, but it's like you're, you're eating the wind. You know, you're, you're, you're chasing after this thing, looking to fill you up. And so you go and you open your mouth and the wind comes in and you get nothing. You get air, vanity. You get nothing. You're, you're feeding on wind. There's nothing that's going to sustain you. It's nothing that's going to fill you up. You're going to die of spiritual starvation. God's saying, that, that's what it's like when you try and worship other things. You're going after them, hoping that they will satisfy you, hoping that they will fill you up, but you're just feeding on wind. It's emptiness. It's vanity. He's like, I, I've set a five-course meal before you. Yeah, you have my promises. You have my presence. You have my love. And you're, you're feeding on the wind. You're feeding on this thing that could never actually fill you up. And it says that they pursue the east wind all day long. Uh, The east wind was not really generally a positive thing. Uh, The east wind would come in um, in in Israel and it would often destroy uh, crops and fields. In Genesis, the east wind is what causes the famine uh, that Joseph's family has to come to Egypt for. Uh, In in Exodus, it's the east wind that brings the locusts in. Uh, The east wind was this thing that came in and destroyed what was in its path. And so when God is saying, you pursue the east wind all day long, it's as if you're saying, he's saying, you're pursuing all these these things, these ideas, philosophies, other religions that are blowing in from the east, from the countries uh, to the east. You're pursuing them and they are destructive. It it says in the text that they multiply violence and falsehood. And yet Israel continues to pursue it all day long. They pursue this thing this vanity that is destructive for them. 
They say, yeah, yeah, we're going to give all of our time, all of our energy to this. And yet it is the, that thing that will never satisfy. It's like them trying to start a fire with wet wood in the rain. They're continuing to give themselves all day to this, pursuing this, and yet it's emptiness and vanity. Their spiritual deception leaves them empty. And yet, don't we do the same thing as well? Aren't there things that we go and pursue all day long other than God? Aren't there ideas, philosophies, influences of our culture that we pursue after? That we say, yeah, I want God. God's important to me. He, I, I want God, but he's not quite enough. I, I need these other things. These other things to supplement me, to really fill me up. We, we pursue them all day long. We give ourselves mostly to these things. We pursue after our the career, after the relationship. We pursue after a, a certain kind of comfort level, or we pursue after what the ads on Instagram tell us will satisfy us. We pursue them all day long, and then at the end of the day, we wonder why we're st still spiritually hungry. It's because, friends, we're feeding on the wind. We're feeding on things that cannot actually satisfy us, spiritually cannot fill us up. There is not, those things that we chase after, there's not one speck more of joy that can be found in them that cannot already be found in God. Yes, those things can bring us some measure of joy, but God can bring us all the joy we truly ever need. And those things cannot add to that. They, they, they cannot give us the grace that we need. They cannot give us the true peace and rest we're looking for. They can't get rid of the feelings of guilt and of shame that we feel and the longing to be loved. Their emptiness, their vanity, their wind. So we're to return to God. Go to him because our spiritual deception is emptiness. It leaves us empty. The second reason, though, that we are to return to God is that our spiritual deception leaves us condemned. So not only for Israel uh, does their spiritual deception leave them empty, chasing, feeding on the wind, but there's actually a condemnation that is due to them for turning their back on God. This is clear in verse 2. It says, The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. And so Jacob and Judah represent both the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel there. And the point is that God is saying there is punishment, there is repayment based on what you've done. You have turned away from me. You've gone and slept around with other gods. And now you will be justly paid back for that. Which maybe seems harsh to us, but it's in fact uh, how our legal system works. When people uh, do some kind of criminal activity, they break some sort of law, there is justice and it's proportional. We don't give out a $200 fine because somebody murdered somebody. There, there needs to be equal justice, a repayment according to our deeds. And so God's point is that they will receive a just punishment. And it's important to see that here, 
why does God highlight this? Why, why does God make sure he, they know that this is true, that they are going to receive a, a just sentence? And I, I think the answer is because Israel maybe feels like at this point they've gotten away with it. Like they know that what they've done is wrong, maybe. Maybe they haven't thought about it, but maybe they know, but they feel like it's probably not a big deal. I mean, God hasn't really done anything about it. Like, life seems to still be going pretty good. Yeah, there's some violence, there's false, there's things that have come, but like, really, life in Israel, it seems fine. It seems okay. It's kind of like uh, a little kid in a candy store. And they're there in the candy store and they see these aisles and aisles of candy. And they, they want the candy, but of course their parent won't buy it for them. So they kind of sneak off by themselves. And they're staring at the racks of candy. And they just feel like, oh, maybe it's not a big deal if I just take one. So they take a candy and put it in their backpack. They look around. No one saw them. There doesn't seem to be any consequence. So they take another one. Put it in their bag. Really? Nothing? Oh. Stealing is way easier than I thought. You know, and they take another one, they open it up, eat all the candy, leave the wrapper on the floor, another one, eat it up. They're like, this is amazing. This is great. But the whole time, the store manager has been watching on the security camera. And he's waiting at the exit. And when the little boy or girl goes to leave the store, he's going to be waiting. And as they walk out the exit, the little beeper thing is going to go off. Beep, 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 beep. And, and that child will receive a, a, a just penalty for their crime. God is saying, in fact, Israel, I, I have seen what you have done. It might not seem like it right now. It might seem like you've gotten away with it. It might seem that, you know, this is great. This is fine. But he's saying there is going to be proper judgment. There is going to be repayment for your deeds. And the thing is, it's not just Israel, though, that stands condemned because of their sin, but us too. We we stand condemned. Might not seem like it right now, though. It it might seem like, hey, I know that there's a sin in my life, but, I mean, God hasn't struck me with a lightning bolt. Seems okay. Yeah, I know that there's this thing, but I I keep doing it and God doesn't seem that upset. Things in my life seem to still be going really well. But friends, in death, we are all going to have to exit the store. And the beeper is going to go off. We will all be punished according to our deeds. Every selfish action, every prideful thought, every impure motive, that should make you squirm. It should make you uncomfortable to think about the fact that every single thing you ever thought or done, there will actually be a repayment for that. The weight of it should overwhelm us. Our sin against a holy, eternal God, deserving of an eternal punishment. Hell is waiting for us at the exit. So return to God 
because our spiritual deception leaves us condemned. But number three, we are to return to God because God has been gracious to others in similar circumstances. God has been gracious to others in similar uh, situations. Hosea takes a turn here and he uses Jacob as an example of one who was a deceiver who yet was shown grace uh, by God. Uh, This is what it says in verses uh, 3 to 5. In the womb, he, uh, meaning Jacob, uh, took his brother by the heel. And in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with God and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, the forefather of the Israelite nation, uh, he was born as a twin. His twin brother Esau came out first, and he was holding on to Esau's heel as he came out. And so he's named Jacob, which his name means the one who grasps at the heel. Uh, but the name kind of has this double meaning. It's the one who grasps, but that word grasps, it kind of means like, like it has a sound like to cheat or to grapple with. Kind of the, the idea that he's supplanting his brother. He's pulling his brother's heel back so he can get ahead. Uh, we see the Esau talking like this about Jacob uh, later in Genesis. When they're older uh, in Genesis 27, Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me. These two times, he took away my birthright, and behold, he has taken away my blessing. Uh, This idea of of cheating, deceiving, this is what characterized Jacob's life. He cheated his brother out of birthright. He cheated uh, his brother out of the blessing. Uh, When eventually he went to Laban, he leaves with all the sheep, and he kind of cheats Laban out of that too. That, That was what his life was really characterized by. And Hosea brings him up at this point as an example. He says, Israel, you are basically like your forefather, uh, Jacob. You are following him in all the same ways. You are a deceiver just like he was. But there is hope for you because there was hope for Jacob. Uh, It it says that Jacob sought God's favor. He sought after his grace. That, That even in the midst of this, all of Jacob's rebellion and deception, he sought God's grace and eventually God did grant him uh, that grace, you know, he's wrestling with the angel. He says, please, holding on until you, I, I want your blessing. I want your grace. And so Hosea's point is this. If God has done this for Jacob, uh, he, you too can return to God and plead with him for grace. We see this idea that God gives grace to people who are rebellious against him all throughout the Bible. Uh, the book of Hosea is all about that. It's all, Hosea uh, lives that out with the life of Gomer. Uh, he's the person that God commanded him to go and marry this unfaithful woman. Uh, they have children together, and then she leaves him for other men. And then he goes and he pursues after her. God tells Hosea, go and, and bring this woman back. Even though she's been unfaithful, come back. We see all throughout the Bible, the the Apostle Paul, a man who was rebellious against God, yet received God's grace. King David, faithful in some ways, yet ran away from God, turned his back on God to do what he wanted. God gives him grace. Moses, Abraham, you could go on. The point is, if God has been gracious to people in the past, then we can have confidence that we who have turned our backs on God can have confidence that he will treat us in a similar way. 
So return to God because God has been gracious with others in similar situations. Number four. The fourth reason we are to return uh, to God is because God's character is merciful and gracious. Uh, God, in verse four and five, he reminds uh, the, the, the people of who he is, of his name, of his character. Uh, it says this, he strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So this reference to uh, the Lord, God's memorial name, uh, was the Lord was the name of Yahweh, uh, is the way that he revealed himself to Jacob, but also to Moses. And Moses, when he re- God reveals himself at the burning bush, God says, I am who I am. My name Yahweh. This, this is my name to be remembered throughout all generations. And then later on at Mount Sinai, Moses again asks God, God, show me your glory. Show me who you are. And God comes in this amazing uh, way and proclaims his name, proclaims who he is, his character. How do you know who I am? This is what God says to Moses in Exodus 34. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So we see there both God's justice and God's grace Uh, But when God chooses to proclaim his name, when he chooses to say, this is who I am, what is the first thing that God says? The Lord, the Lord, a God who will judge you in your sin. No. The Lord, the Lord, a God who is just and righteous and holy. True. But that's not how he proclaims his name. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. The very thing he wants them first to know about who he is, is that he is a God merciful and gracious, ready to forgive. And so in God's call for the people, return to me, the thing he wants them to know is remember who I am. Remember what kind of a God I am. What is my character like? Uh, We see this in the prophet Joel as well. The prophet Joel, again, calling God's people to return to him. and, And this is exactly what God says there. In Joel chapter 2, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. And so he's saying, I I want you to return, but not just in lip service. Like, I want your hearts to be changed. I want you to be mourning and weeping. I realize your sin and come back to me. And so he says, return to the Lord your God. Why? For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. God was and is a God who delights in showing mercy to sinners. 
all throughout the Old Testament, we, we see this very clearly. Here's two more examples. In Micah 7, it says uh, of God, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Or in Nehemiah chapter 9, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This is God's character that over and over the people are continually reminded of. Come back to God because of who he is. And Jesus, he wonderfully illustrates this in a parable that he tells. He tells a story of a man, a son, who goes to his father and asks his father for the inheritance. He says, Father, I don't want to wait for you to die. Just give me what is mine now. And so the father goes and, and gives it to him. He's probably got to sell land and assets and things to give this son his half of the inheritance. The son goes and takes the wealth and he just spends it. He just enjoys it. He just lives it up, parties, everything he can do, spends it all, enjoys life. And it's so great until he runs out. Until he runs out of money, runs out of friends, runs out of options. And he finds himself with no money and really no job. And so he ends up feeding pigs. If you're a Jewish person, the lowest thing you could do is feed a pig. These unclean, filthy animals. And it's there that he really realizes what he's done. He realizes how foolish he's been. But what's he to do? Where is he to go? Well, he thinks, well, I can... I, I know my father, and I know he's at least a little bit merciful. I, I can't go back to him as a son. I, I could never do that. But perhaps he has a little bit of mercy enough to just let me be a servant. And so that's what he decides to do. He decides, I'll go back. I'll just ask my dad if I can be a servant. He knows a small glimpse of his father's character. But this is what happens. This is how Jesus describes it when the son returns. In Luke chapter 15, and he, the son, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the, the son, he tries to apologize to the father. So, father, I'm so sorry. Will you please accept me? And the father just doesn't even answer his question. He's just like, let's celebrate. Bring the fattened cow. Bring the feast. Bring the robe. My son is here. Father, will you just like, I'm so sorry, will you accept me? No, 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 don't, don't even worry about it. Welcome back. Welcome home. Friends, God is ready to forgive. He is a father waiting, eager on the front porch, watching for us to come back to him. His character is one of mercy and grace. Which means... For us, we do not need to worry about trying to clean ourselves up before we return to God. The, the, the prodigal son, he, he came back in tatters. His clothes were ruined. And the father doesn't say, okay, come, go get your clean, life cleaned up, and then you can come back, and then we'll have the feast. He says, welcome back. I'm going to clothe you. I will wrap you up. And the same for God. He, God says, come to me. You don't need to fix yourself up. Come to me, and I will fix you up. I will change you. I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you. I will make you new. But when we, we are condemned, when we realize our sin, we are not to run from God. We are to run to God. 
because his character is one of mercy and grace. No matter how many times we've been prone to wander, no matter how many times we've turned to that same sin over and over, run to God and you will find his arms are open wide to receive you. So return to God because God's character is merciful and gracious. The last reason. Fifth reason why we should return to God is because God is the one who will help us. God is the one who will help us. Now we see that in the last verse of our text, verse 6, really the climax of this text. It says, So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. But it is that great phrase, by the help of God, which is so encouraging to us. Because the thing that we most need to return to God is often the thing we most resist. It's the thing we find so difficult to do. We say, I know I'm supposed to return to God. I know that what I'm doing now isn't right. And yet to go back to God seems so hard and difficult. So how amazing is it then that very thing that is most difficult for us to do, God says, I'm going to help you do it. And he does it primarily in two ways. The first way that God helps us return to him is by removing the barrier, removing the barrier that kept us from God in the first place, which is our sin. Uh, we are condemned justly. We should be repaid according to our deeds. And yet God says, I desire you to return to me, but you cannot. And so he comes himself in the person of Jesus and he lives a morally perfect life. And he is condemned unjustly on the cross. And yet in that, in the moment that Jesus is on the cross, he willingly takes on all of the condemnation, all of the punishment that we deserve. He, he takes it on. Jesus is repaid not according to his deeds. He's repaid according to us. According to our deeds. Why? So that we could be repaid according to his so that we would not get what we deserve, we would get what Jesus earned, his perfect, innocent life, to be able to be brought near to God. This is what it says in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world, the world that had turned his back on him, that had found hope and satisfaction in the wind. He so loved this world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And so this means that if we actually believe in Jesus... We trust that on the cross, Jesus has actually taken on the penalty of our sin so that we could return to God. It means that one of the most wonderful verses in all of the Bible is true of us. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we come to God, we are not condemned. We do not need to feel guilty because we are covered by Jesus' blood. 
we know we were wrong, and yet we are invited to come freely, to be embraced by the Father. God has removed that so that we can return to him. And not only that, God did not just help us by removing the barrier, as if that wasn't enough. But God actually helps us to return to him by making us want to return to him. He comes and he changes us because deep down we don't really want to go back to God. Our sinful nature, we keep desiring these lesser things. We don't desire God. And so God has to come and actually change us. He has to do something to us. And we see this uh, happen in Acts uh, chapter 11. There's a bunch of people who come to faith. The apostles rejoice and they say they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. He's granted repentance. He's given it. Repentance just means to turn away from our sin and then to accompany that with faith and trust in Jesus. And it said God has granted. God has helped them to return to him. So God helps us to do that. The very thing that we have such a difficulty doing. And so if that's true, then we should go and we should ask God for help. So God, get on our knees. Help me. I know that what I'm doing is not right. Would you help me to return to you? Would we, like Jacob, seek and pour out our, our, our words, just asking God to give us grace? So last thing, we are to return to God because he is the one who will help us. So we've seen our five reasons. Five reasons that we should return to God. Our spiritual deception leaves us empty. It leaves us condemned. God has been gracious to others in similar situations. His character is merciful and gracious, and God is the one who will help us. So what's the takeaway? What's the application? I hope it's really clear. Return to God. Like, that is what we are called to do here. We who are Christians, we, we are like Israel. We have been saved by God, and yet we still wander. We go after other things, and the call of this passage and of Hosea is return. Return to God. Ask him for help. Seek him for guidance so that you might come close to him again, and you might return to following him and following his ways. And, and for some, it may be that you don't need to return to God, but you actually need to come to God for the first time. You, you actually need to see that you are condemned apart from Jesus and that you need to, to return to him and you can through Jesus. It is not a matter of cleaning yourself up and, and doing the right things for God. It is a matter of simply trusting Jesus and the cross that you may come to him and find that everlasting life that John was talking about. So we're to return to God. And when we do, the last part of our verse uh, tells us what will happen then, or what we, we should do. The last part of verse 6, we are then to hold fast to love and justice. When we return to God, we are to hold on to that. We're not to let the change in our life just go. We're to hold on to it, not falling back into the same patterns. But, but to say, God, let me turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and find life in your ways. Let me seek that and hold on to that. And then wait continually for your God. Israel waited for God's promises to be fulfilled in Jesus. And we too, when we return to God, we wait. But not for Jesus. We wait for his return. 
We wait for the one day when Jesus will return to us, where he will come and we will actually be with God physically. It will not just be that we are united with Christ spiritually, but physically united. Titus talks about waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will return with God fully and completely. And the best part is when that happens, we will never ever leave. Let me pray. God, uh, we are, are nothing. And you are everything. And you have come and you have sent your son that we might know you and return to you. And Lord, help us to do that. Help us not to continue feeding on the wind. Help us see that everything we long for and hope for is found in you. You call us back because it is good for us and glorifying to you. And so I pray for all of us that we would return to you, Lord. That we would leave our sin and we would return to the one who is gracious and merciful. Lord, we ask for your help to do this because we cannot do it on our own. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.